when you achieve something, like just flat opening my own studio and things like that, re-qualifying as an adult, all these little things that um, they do give you a boost, give you more confidence, like you can do more. And with my fitness and my ultra events and my bodybuilding, like as humans, we have so much more potential than we actually think. And it's just actually like tapping into that and keep pushing yourself for more, keep thriving. Um, yeah, you can do a lot more than you think. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I have a beautiful soul, Kerry Ashcroft. She is an incredible woman. She's a head coach and studio owner at Coach Kerry, her own beautiful gymnasium. She's an accredited sports nutritionist and NBA pro bodybuilder. She holds 12 state and national titles. And now she has just completed her first 100K ultra marathon after attempting another one previously and having run a number of other events leading up to this one only a week and a half ago. She is the wife to the gorgeous Phil and the mum of two beautiful teenage girls, Violet and Summer. And she happens to be my own personal trainer. I am incredibly proud of her. It's an honor to know her. I hope you get to see her picture that goes up with this week's podcast. But if you want to follow her, then certainly look up on Instagram, Coach Kerry Pro. That's Coach and then Kerry, K-E-R-R-Y, and then Pro, P-R-O. And I highly recommend that you follow her on there for her inspiration. Um, And as I said, she pushes me every week, every time I go into the gym. I know you're going to love this week's podcast. We talk all things around health, wellness, nutrition, and particularly around discipline and the art of setting challenges and pushing yourself to be a greater and even bigger, better version of who you are right here, right now. If you're enjoying the Self-Love Podcast, thank you so much for your comments, feedback, and also your five-star rating. It really does help others to find out what it means to truly love oneself and to participate in the greatest gift of all, and that is to learn to love oneself with all our heart and soul, all our flaws, all our constraints, and realize that there is no one like us. Thank you for being a part of this journey, and I sincerely hope and know that you will enjoy this week's self-love podcast. Well, you can see why it is such a delight for me to have this special soul on the show today. Kerry Ashcroft, welcome to the self-love podcast. Hi, Kim, and thank you for having me. Oh, sweetheart, I've got to know you very well through the gym life and obviously you are my PT and someone that I really look up to and admire wholeheartedly. Also, probably because we're a little bit crazy and we both have a love of ultra events and pushing ourselves to the extreme. But before we get into any of that, perhaps, you know, the, the audience may have noticed already that there's a slight accent. Perhaps you could give us a brief rundown as to who you are, where you've come from and how you've ended up doing what you do now. Okay. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Kerry Ashcroft. I'm also known as Coach Kerry. Um, so I'm a personal trainer coach on the Sunshine Coast, and I have my own studio based in Warana. Um, so I moved here um, eight and a half years ago from a town in Whitcall, Wigan in the UK, and I moved here with my husband, Phil, and two daughters, Ballot and Summer. 
Yeah, so I've been over here eight years now, but my accent is still very strong. It's gorgeous. I love your accent. And I'm just really, um, I think from me hearing you do that and say that you've traveled all that way, I'd love to know why you chose Australia and even more so why the Sunshine Coast? How did that come about? Um, My parents actually came on holiday here, um, would have been 15 years ago. Um, Me and my husband, Philip, who was then my boyfriend, um, he's a bricklayer. So they came back from holiday and was telling us how much bricklaying, building industries thriving in Australia, should come and live here. But at the time, we was happy. We was out partying with our friends, so we didn't have any inclination to move to a different country. Um, But it's only when we had children and during one summer's night, um, we were taking the girls for a walk in in the pram. And we just said, how nice would it be to be able to do this every single day? And that was just a small conversation. And then we just came home, applied for our visa, and that was it. Because we knew Philip's occupation was on the skill list. So we knew that he would be able to get into Australia with no problem. Isn't that fascinating? It's just a conversation which led actually to applying for our visa. Exactly. I was just going to say, it's fascinating that we can have one small conversation like that and it turns into a complete change of life for a whole family and obviously your futures. Did your parents come out as well? No. So they actually came on holiday um, the year before we emigrated. Um, So we came to Mooloolaba for a week and then went to Adelaide for a week. But because we came to Sunshine Coast first, like Adelaide had no chance. Um, so yeah, so we was a little bit spoiled up here. So it was the right choice to move to the Sunshine Coast. But my parents have been here four times since we've moved here. Um, and they're actually in the process of applying for the parent visa as well. Um, so hopefully that will come through soon. Yeah. Tell us what's the main differences, do you think, being here down under now in Australia compared to what it was like for you in Wigan in the UK? Is there a vast difference or is it just the weather? Uh, one is the weather because obviously with small children, you can't do a lot apart from just like a short time in summertime and you kind of rely on going to um, like play centres and things like that or just like around each other's houses. So you don't get the social side of it, um, which you would do outdoors here. Um, but I just feel as in job opportunities over here, there is a lot more for us and the kids to actually thrive more of our businesses. Um, obviously, UK is a smaller place, more populated so it becomes a lot harder to actually, yeah, get a good job over there in these times. Yeah, it's been certainly challenging this last year or two years. Talk to us then a little bit about how you got into PTing. Like, what was that always what you've done? Or is it something that just grew on you? Have you always been interested in sport? No, so um, I was interested in sport at school. So I used to play hockey and then I also took PE as one of my electives. Um, but unfortunately, I actually broke my um, fractured my wrist during trampolining, so that was um, short lived. So I couldn't actually complete um, my PE uh, qualification. Um, so I left school then, and I actually went into fashion design. So I got a diploma in fashion design, which then um, a part of the element of fashion design was to do um, art history, which I really really enjoyed. So then went on to university to actually study visual culture, which is art history. Um, So during this time, I wasn't playing sport, not into sport, just heavily into the drinking scene, to be honest. Um, So more social side of it. So sport didn't come later on into my life later on. 
Um, so yeah, after university, which I didn't finish, um, I ended up working in bars and clubs and I became a landlady at 20 years old. Um, so I actually used to run a pub, living it on my own and run it for six months. Um, so again, just not health and fitness orientated. It's all about the social scene. Um, from then I went to work in a place called Magaluf, which is in Mallorca. So I spent two years there, but that's the actual place where I met my husband. So he came on holiday. Um, so that's where I met Phil and actually came home with him. Um, but yeah, so going on from working in pubs and clubs, I became a, de a dental assistant at 23, which I de uh, did that then for 12 years. Um, and then from there, I did some hairdressing. And then later on, I became a PT. Um, and that just kind of fell into it because I really got into sport and started doing a challenge at a gym, uh, which I did really well at. And then from then, um, that's where I fell into bodybuilding too. Went from doing a gym challenge, so I did some weight training, and I really enjoyed weight training. And then we actually found what a bodybuilding competition was, um, which I can go on about a bit later. But um, yeah, so from being doing my bodybuilding, that's when um, I wanted to be a PT as well. Mm, that's understandable. And it can be quite addictive, can't it? The more we exercise and train, the better we feel with all those incredible endorphins and yeah, chemicals exactly. that we release. Do you think then people are born naturally attuned to doing something like weightlifting or do you think you can learn to fall in love with it? Oh, I think you can learn to fall in love with it. Um, like I had really good experiences with good trainers and and I think because when I won the challenge, I actually thought, oh, I'm actually good at something. Uh, I'm strong. I can do something. So I think I had really good outcomes from all of it, which uh, when you do, I think it motivates you to carry on to do to do more into that kind of um that sport or that activity yeah it's almost like you've got to do something to learn what you're good at you can't just sit there waiting for it to come to you and I think one of the things I've learned from you is the participation in anything but yeah. not only the participation giving it everything you've got is that mindset normal for all your clients do you think is it normal that people come in there or is it typical that people sign up get with you and think that you're going to plaster them in abs, biceps, quads and a good butt? <laughs> I think it all depends on the individual. I've got like different types of um, clients. Um, but I think that's in general that like a lot of people think, well, a lot of people might think you have the perfect plan, the perfect diet plan, the perfect training plan. But it all down, boils down to is hard work whatever it is, if it's putting 100% into your diet, 100% into your weight training, you, it is actually you who has to do the hard work. You can have the best trainer in the world or the best plan, but if you don't put your full attention into it, then you're never going to get any results. Well, that's interesting in itself because everybody has a different uh, idea of what a result is. Yeah. And I'm sure for you, um, you'd agree with me. I, I read it somewhere once that, you know, within four weeks, you start to feel different. Within eight weeks, people close to you start to notice you look different. And within 12 weeks, everybody's noticing. Yeah. So it's not exactly a fast process as such. How do people hang in there and do they give up easily? What's been your idea or as, as far as a general overview of what it is for people to fully transform themselves? I think when we first have that initial consultation, I always like um, pre-frame that it is a journey. Building muscle, for instance, does not happen overnight. It takes years. 
like you see these models with beautiful big glutes that does not happen overnight so I always pre-frame that results come with time obviously the harder you work then you can get faster results with weight loss um, and getting fitter but things like muscle building they do take a long time and you have to hang in there and I think it's a journey as well and if things came easy then where would the fun be in that uh, I think you need to actually yeah just keep working hard and I think you get more sense of achievement when things do take longer. Mm, and don't take it for granted. Yeah. So you somehow found yourself being more and more drawn to bodybuilding, body sculpting. Yeah. How did that come about and how long did it take you before you stood on stage and won your first competition? Um, so I did um, an eight-week challenge at Jets, which I won. Um, I didn't lose a lot of weight to be honest, but I did like change my body composition quite a lot. So I got, I got addicted to actually feeling strong and uh, lifting weights. So then my friend Cassie, who was my training partner, probably six months down the line, she said, let's do a bodybuilding competition. And I hadn't a clue what a bodybuilding competition was. So we went along uh, and watched one, which was like an IMBA show in Brisbane. And I remember just seeing the girls on stage and I thought, I cannot do that. All I seen was these big, muscly, glamorous ladies strutting on stage and I just thought, I cannot do that. And I think all the way through that first prep, I was just so worried. Um, and I, I did enjoy it, but there was like doubt in the back of my mind, would I actually make it to um, stage and would I look okay on stage? Um, so my first time on stage, I placed, I got two fifth places, um, which was for me, that was amazing at the time because there was big, big lineups. But even just to be acknowledged and have your physique looked at and placed on that day was amazing for me. Um, so that was with a different coach. So after that first competition, I actually found my now coach, Leon. Um, he's based in the Sunshine Coast. That's Leon Sten's home. And, um, yeah, so I did my first prep with him. And I actually first placed, placed first with him. At my first show so yeah that was um that was the beginning of that hunger and that thirst to actually keep going in bodybuilding um but yeah so that probably took me two years to get to that point yeah it's a long process and it's something that certainly um I found people don't really appreciate no there is a lot of times people look at bodybuilders body sculptors and say yuck and you know it's too much especially for women or it's too ripped for men or whatever it is but I think for me what I fell in love with my first exposure to it as a teenager growing up was the muscle fitness magazine yeah. and often would see um, you know before and afters and just really dreamed and imagined if that was possible never thought I could do something like that and it was then when I read a book by Bill Phillips called Body for Life that I thought after I'd had both my children, would it, would it be possible for me to do this? And as I entered into that 12-week challenge off the book, again, I was, it was my own time out. It was I'd get up at 4, uh, 4.30 in the morning, be at the yeah. gym by 5, 5 till 6, and I'd be home by 6.15, 6.30 when the kids would slowly wake up and Danny could go off to work and whatnot. So I found you know, that, that was, that became my time and I got addicted to that. And it was during that process, one of the trainers in the gym watched me coming in regularly and saw my aptitude. And she came up to me and said, Hey, there's a body sculpting competition in seven weeks time. 
I reckon you could do well. Well, I freaked. But here was my opportunity to actually do something that I dreamed of since I was a teenager and to see if it was possible to be a before and after. And so I just wanted to ask you, is it possible for everybody to be a body sculptor or bodybuilder or is it only mesomorphs or certain types that get to do it well? No, um, I think anybody can do it, to be honest. Um, you can see some amazing transformations, like people losing like 20, 30, 40 kilos and actually making it to stage and looking amazing. Um, and to be honest, when they lean down, once they've been carrying like a lot of weight, they already have a decent amount of muscle mass underneath um, just from carrying that a lot of weight around. And, um, yeah, I just think anyone can do it. It's just does everyone have the mental endurance to get through a prep? Because that's one of the biggest um, obstacles that people face. It's not just like a quick 10-week um, shred down. Um, it takes a hell of a lot of juggling, um, mental strength to actually be hungry, um, appreciate the hunger, train like twice a day. Um, so there's a lot of what goes into it, which you know, Kim, because you've done it. Um, but And you also become not obsessed by it, but it has to become your everything for those number of weeks that you're doing it to do well. Um, well look, if people so. are interested, they can listen to your amazing coach. I had him on the pod, self-love podcast yeah. show 103, if anyone's interested. And I also interviewed a mutual friend of ours and your personal trainer, which is Jamie Milne on yeah. show 69. So I'm just wondering then, do you think you need somebody to get you to stage or is it possible to do it by yourself? To get you to stage, you definitely need a second pair of eyes. Um, even when I had been at my leanest, I still think I have more to lose. So it's hard to be um, not judgmental, but actually see yourself in the correct form and not want to make tweaks and just make sure like your coach knows you're ready. He can advise you or do you need to go a bit further? Even just for the support as well, you might need on them low days where you feel like you've got nothing you want to give up. So you do need support, but also, yeah, like I say, that's a compare advice to give you an honest opinion um, to where you're at in your stage of your prep. Well, you bring up an interesting point. You need someone else for a second opinion. And this is where I'm wondering where, you know, body obsession, yes. um, social media, you've got two daughters, how do we create the fine line between loving, honoring and appreciating all of our parts of us and maybe perfection from a model or a body sculpting point of view? And then how do we not lose perspective in the process of going after that? Yeah, it's a hard one. It's something I've been very uh, on top of with my two girls. Like I never talk about diet in my house. We don't talk about weight um never use the word fat um just they think i eat to be stronger they we talk about nutrition in a way that um for me to build muscle to be fitter to be stronger so it's never about body composition or the way i look um so that's something that i've been very aware of during like bringing my girls up because I remember growing up with my mum as well, who was always on a diet. So you kind of go into that kind of frame of mind that we should always be on a diet. Um, so that's been something I've been very aware of, like to keep away from my girls. Obviously, they pick things up themselves from social media. They see me on stage in a bikini, but it's never been about 
weight loss or um, being fat, being thin. So it's always more been about the strength side of it, which I will continue to educate them with. Yeah, it's a good one because I think for many young people, they also look at these models or these, you know, different body types that yeah. appear in their thing and then compare themselves and get that horrible thing, comparisonitis, where we don't then think we're good enough. And yet what many don't understand is that for, for people not to have cellulite, for women in particular, not to have cellulite on their body, there is usually quite a lot of discipline, quite a lot of um, sacrifice goes into this. Is that the truth or are some people genetically just blessed and never get never get cellulite? Oh, yes. Yeah. Some people are genetically blessed in that way, but also people, yeah, they don't see the hard work that they put in behind the scenes as well. Um, and not all, everyone shows the hard work they put in behind the scenes. Um, so, yeah, I think what you see on social media isn't true as well, is it? And like even myself, like I've gone through a lot of stages of body dysmorphia, even from my like early 20s. Um, so it, it's just hard to get over as well. Something that um, growing up, like body shape, body size, your weight was always an issue, was always in the magazines, you should be on 1200 calories. So it's hard to kind of shake it off and trying to get in a healthier mindset and place with yourself and your body as well. Um, but I do think over the years with more strength athletes coming through CrossFit, that the skinny kind of physique is no longer something people aspire to which is really refreshing to see. Um, People are eating, people's nutrition is so much better. There's more information out there. So um, I do think there's a lot more better role models on the internet these days on social media, which hopefully the younger girls coming through can strive to look up to. Mm. Do you think then from the perspective of strength, fitness, health, wellness, is there a thing or a way that if the mums listening to this, maybe with young daughters or young sons, parents listening to this, how what, what is your advice around, I heard you say before, you know, you don't talk about weight and you don't talk about fat and all of those sorts of yeah. things, but how do you create a real healthy mindset around exercise and movement if you yourself aren't into it or your kids are more sedentary than they are active? How do we inspire that? I think it's... Um it all boils down to what you enjoy as well, doesn't it? Um, like no one's ever going to sustain something they don't want to do. So, I mean, it could start off with just going for a family walk. You don't have to go full on and join a gym. Um, even if it's just playing kick around ball at the weekend with your family, um, but just moving. Um, and then that might progress into something else where you might want to join a gym, when they might do a park run, um, but it doesn't have to be full on into um, a sport for the beginning it's just finding something you enjoy what you can move to um, but once you join a group for instance you might find other motivation other parents going through the same things um, are you suggesting so- then it really does come back to the parents to be the the role model the leaders in this because I, I do find it challenging to to see this for parents if with kids not being active if they themselves aren't yeah, because it's, it's like monkey see, monkey does, isn't it? Like if they don't see the adult moving or if they think what their parents eating is normal, then they're just going to eat the same. So I think it does boil down to the actually parent uh, possibly changing their habits 
and then the child is going to actually follow suit then, which is hard as well because financially some people might not be able to afford to make changes, um, but there is such great information on the internet these days um, and free challenges and things that you can go to, like part runs free at the weekend. You don't have to run. You can actually walk through your first ones until you get fitter. So there is a lot of free information out there. Um, but, yeah, so hopefully, yeah, it's just finding something they enjoy to do as well, isn't it? Mm. And I think the more you move, the more you enjoy it too. Yes, and the more you stop, the more you seem to find yourself doing that more. One of the things that did challenge me, and I'm interested if it did it for you as well, after I did compete in a body sculpting competition, and mine really was just a once-off. I, you know, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Yeah. Knew, knew what it was like to eat broccoli and and <laughs> and sweet potato for, for 18 weeks. Um, but I really did transform my body quite completely, um, and I'm happy to share it in this podcast yeah. and the photos. But, you know, I really did change shape, and it really showed me that the biggest thing I learned, Kerry, was that every single little thing that goes through my lips has an effect on the body. Yes. Could you explain to us a little bit about how important nutrition is? Oh, it's very important, especially during your prep. Um, so I follow something called macros, which I don't know if anyone's familiar with that. Um, so the amount of calories that you have is divided up into like your three macronutrients, your fats, your carbs, your protein. So you have targets to hit every single day. Um, and you hit them to the gram. So this is super important um, because during your weight loss phase, you need to be constantly in a deficit. Um, so weighing your food to the gram as well. Um, so when you think about, say, if you're in a 20-week prep and if you're not bang on with your measuring, you're hitting your macros to the gram, you could waste one week of fat loss. So if you only have the 90 more weeks left, if you're not hitting your macros to the gram, um, weighing your food, then you could be wasting weeks, which could then impact how you look on show day then. So you might not come in lean enough. So everything has to be like bang on. Um, mm. so did you follow the meal plan, Kim? Do you know, it was so long ago. I can't remember. I did stick to, I was very strict. Whatever she yeah, told so me to do, yeah, so I did. My option of following a meal plan where then that would be... Um, like change weekly, depending mm. on if it needed to be. But again, that has to be followed to to the T. What was um, interesting for me is I actually had to eat more, which really <laughs> challenged me on what I was doing. And it's just yeah. that amazing. That's what I love about a challenge like this, a stage yeah. challenge. Because first of all, if you realize you're going to be standing on stage in front of 400, 1,000, 500 people, whatever it is, in a G-string bikini, and, you know, my thoughts were always, oh, my gosh, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it well. And I followed everything to a T. I did not cheat. I did not. I remember one day, actually, that's not true. One day we had a function leading up to the comp and I had half a piece of liver cleansing, Dr. Sandra Cabot's liver cleansing banana cake. And the next day, I'm not joking, I went into the gym must have had a big half a piece. But the next day I went into the gym and Rachel, my trainer, she had, she had the calipers. We were doing a fat measurement that day. And she said, oh, have you eaten something? And I was like, no. And she said, well, I can just tell you. And what it was, it wasn't so much weight. It was an inflammatory response. Yeah. And that showed me 
just how much every single thing that goes through those lips actually can affect the way we eat. And yet we often don't think about this. So my love of challenges like this is actually to go really, I guess, really um, microscopic, go right down to what you're eating. This is what I loved about the challenge of doing this and what I love about doing any detox or love doing about any sort of protocol. I love the strictness. I love the like, what I can't do because to me, it's about really strengthening that most important muscle and that is of discipline. Yeah. And I just find that discipline is something that is lacking for a lot of people, especially as we become adults. You know, it's for the first time in our lives, no one's telling us what we have to do. So if we want to eat it, we will. And if we want to go out, we will. And I think challenges like this, if it appeals to you, and it doesn't have to be this, it could be park runs, like you say, or any of the free challenges online. But my thing is always, if you're going to do it, commit to it 100%, yeah. not one foot in, one foot out, and just do it. And Cindy O'Meara talks a lot like this. when it, We did a protocol, fat loss protocol over her four-phase fat loss protocol over the Christmas. And people were like, yeah. oh my gosh, why would you do it over Christmas? Well, we went into the new year feeling the best we've ever felt. Yeah. And her argument was, gosh, I've had, you know, 50 odd Christmases where I've eaten what I want, when I want. What does it hurt to have one Christmas where I'm eating really leanly? And I think that's something that we forget. This is a small part of our lives and it's a beautiful way to reset our metabolism, reset, detox, cleanse our beautiful digestive system, give it a break for want of a better word, and then focus on seeing what is possible with the body. So you got to that competition with Leon. You obviously trained really hard. Yeah. The picture of you in the gym and, and you standing on stage was quite frankly, remarkable. What was it like winning that? And how did you feel when you stood on stage? Did you actually know you'd won it when you stood on stage? Did you just feel that damn good? You knew that you had a chance? How did that work for you? So this was my first prep with Leon. This was been 2016 when my first win. And um, even the day before, I felt amazing. And there's actually like two more people who um, prep with me. And they wasn't so disciplined during their preps. And, yeah, you could just tell the look on their faces compared to the way I felt because I just followed everything like I should have done. And the results showed on show day. Um, I felt amazing and I felt like I should be there. And I actually felt proud when I actually st uh, stood on top of that podium. Like knowing that you've done every single thing that you can and did it well, that's the best feeling ever. And how did Leon respond to that, watching someone like you do that and just go out there and literally own it? What was his feedback? Did he have anything to say to you? Was yeah. there anything he said before or after? No, he sent me a voicemail on the way home. We was all driving back from Brisbane. He was just like, oh, mate, like, you're just so proud of you. And it's just so nice to hear that from your coach um, because he was genuinely proud of me because he known how much um, effort I put in and how disciplined I was. So, yeah, having that support from him and then, like, Phil was there, my husband and kids, so then to see me, because they have to sacrifice things as well um, for me to be able to do that. So to see my hard work and then the support pay off, that's, like, an amazing feeling too. It's a team effort, right? Yes, it definitely is. All right, so talk us through now. Did you do any more competitions? What else did you do? And then how on earth did you get into then becoming an ultra marathoner? <laughs> okay. Um, so after that, I went to the UK and competed. That was probably, that was in May. It was only 
three or four months later. Um, so I did three actual big competitions that year. One was in the UK. One was back in Brisbane. Um, but the UK one um, was a very interesting one because it's my brother's wedding and we was flying back anyway. And I found a competition which wasn't convenient, but it was actually the day after I landed. Um, so with, with less than 24 hours, I was on stage from London after a 24-hour flight. Uh, so me and Leon hadn't got a clue how my body would respond to water retention, what I was going to look like from jet lag. Um, but it's actually the best I've ever looked. I think it was the less stress I've ever had because I wasn't, I wasn't going there to do a competition, so it was just thrown in there. So I didn't have any kind of um, expectations or anything. Um, but I actually woke up on show day and I was the leanest I've ever been and I looked the best, best conditioning. Um, so that was an amazing show to do. So that in itself, actually being able to fly, get through that and stand there on stage after all that um, was probably the best show I've done. Um, so after that, yeah, I did one in Brisbane. And then 2017, I did one in Brisbane. So I won that one. Went on to the Nationals in Sydney where I won again. Um, so that was my first national title. And then I had actually a year and a half off. And that's when I came back to 2019 where I, um, yeah, that's when I got my pro card that season. So I did Brisbane, won everything there. Um, I actually did Townsville before that. I did Townsville, then went to Brisbane. So I got the overall at Brisbane, which then I went to the Nationals which I won the overall then, which then gave me my pro card. And then that day I actually went on to the evening show, which was a pro lineup, and I actually ended up winning that as well, which was my biggest achievement ever. Wow, amazing. And, and what have you done since then? How did you then transition into running? So after then, um, so I carried on doing my weight training as normal, and then COVID hit. So this is like 2020. Um, so during that period, like I was working at Anytime Fitness and when the gyms closed, I was still, I was training some uh, clients from home, but I got into like a really crappy, dark place where no interest in training and I just didn't feel fit and I didn't, I was still strong because I was lifting very heavy at home, but I just lost that drive to be honest. Um, so, pre, like, so going back, the gyms opened and I still couldn't find my mojo or find my love of like, training and fitness again. Um, ended up leaving any time and opened my own studio in Marana, where I am now, which was an amazing achievement. But I still, even then, couldn't find that drive, what I was missing from my bodybuilding days. Um, and that's when I actually went over um, and had a chat with Jamie at Jamie Mill Training um, and started doing some CrossFit um, which was just what I needed to start getting fit again, doing some little runs. And I remember even like one day we had an 800 meter run on the day's program. And I was like, oh my God, I can't even run 800 meters. So I was dreading that, um, which you, you end up doing it anyway. But just the thought of running 800 meters gave me like butterflies in my stomach. And then Jamie actually runs, I think three or four times a year. He runs a run club called Run Riot, which... I wasn't going to do it then. I was going to do it. I was like, oh, I don't like running with people. And then I ended up signing up for it. And it was the best thing I ever done. I met some amazing people. And we actually went from running like nothing um, to 50Ks within six weeks. 
So that was a group of people, um, some novice runners like myself, some experienced runners, different levels, and we all got together, end up completing the 50Ks at the end of it. So that was my start to ultra running. It's a beautiful thing. I'm the same. Don't particularly like running with people here. In my <laughs> ultra days, we all yeah. trained together up in the Danny Nongs or down at Wilson's Promontory, down in the, the, the bottom of Victoria. <laughs> and it was really just quite a beautiful, amazing experience to be together and to eat each other on and to, yeah. you know, you're running at a pace where you can chat. It's not like you're going full pace. But as that grew and as you started, is it because you were part of a group? Do you think you got more and more into running? Would that have ever happened if you were just doing park run after park run, do you think? Um, well, um, I'll go back a little bit, though. I actually did some running in my early days, like at 22. Um, and I did do like a 10K and then a half marathon. Um, but um, my thing was like joining a run group. I was actually worried about being like the weakest kind of link and being the slowest and holding people back. So I think that's the biggest fear I had and that I didn't want to join in the first place. But then when you get into a group setting and the support, the camaraderie that comes with it, it actually helps you on those times when you might hit a wall or you need some like someone to chat to. It just makes it so much more fun. Um, but also I think running by yourself has um, just... It, that just gives you, what's the word for it? Um, being able to run far by yourself, like with your own mindset, that's something that you can't get from a group setting. You really have to dig deep in those times. So it's like yourself, Kim, running around that track, doing that 100Ks, whatever you did. Um, you had to dig deep, didn't you? It was all you mm. and just yeah. you. You've got your support crew there. You've got people around, but it's... Yeah. No one's doing it except you. You yes. you cannot do it. No, no one can do it for you, should I say. And I remember Cliff Young saying to me, you're about to meet the real you when I did my first 24-hour race. And I didn't actually know what he meant. I mean, I was 21 at the time and yeah. kind of thought I knew quite a lot. Um, but um, then I started there and it wasn't to what we called the graveyard shift, which, you know, between midnight and 6 a.m., that I really did see my darkest side, the part of me that threw a tantrum because someone gave me pumpkin soup instead of a cup of warm tea. And just that, that made me want to quit. Someone else said something. They were calling me pookie every time I came around the track. And every time she said it, that was it. That's that just set me off. And that was enough to want to quit the race. And I was doing all these things that I was watching athletes before me doing it myself, thinking how pathetic they were and God, yeah. they need to grow up, but you don't, realize until you're in it just how things can irritate you or how things can really inspire you and that for me was when one of my teachers arrived with the oils and then started doing some compresses and got me to do breathing exercises and ate some scrambled eggs and then all of a sudden I was in a completely different mindset. So I got to find out what it is that I liked and what I didn't like and also how much I needed to be in control of my emotions instead of just blurting it out and losing. I think it's one of the best disciplines ever. If everyone got the opportunity to run an ultra marathon, I think the world would be a kinder place. Yeah. <laughs> but um, to, I would love to know a little bit more. I mean, all my ultras were on 400 meter tracks. So I've never done a trail race or anything yeah. like that. You then found yourself, or can you tell, explain to us the, the way it went for you to get yourself up into those 100K plus races? Um, so when you go to Jamie's and there's a lot of amazing people over there, 
and you do get inspired and you kind of get taken away on this big kind of inspirational ride with everybody else. So everyone else is signing up for these events. And at the time, Jamie was, um, he was training for the um, elephant trail race, which he was attempting to run 200K, which is just insane, isn't it? And David and Kendall was doing 160Ks. So I thought, oh, that sounds, like it just sounded really um, like different. It wasn't well known. So I was really excited to go and be a part of that. Um, so I was going to attempt to do the 50Ks at that one. And then someone, so during this time, I'd run 50. Then the week after that, I'd run 60Ks with Jamie. So I thought, well, someone contacted me and said, well, you've already run 50Ks. You've run 60, so you can't really go back and run 50. You need to do the 100. And I was like, oh, so I was on and on for weeks and weeks. So I ended up signing up for the 100K Elephant Trail, um, which was in July in Port Macquarie. So we went down to do that. And um, yeah, I, so each lap is like 27K. So you do two forward laps and two reverse laps. And it's like crazy elevation through a mountain, up a mountain, down a mountain, somewhere called Death Valley. There's a creek where you have to cross as well and go and like climb through all like rocks and trees and things. So it's just a very time consuming um, loop as well that you have to go around. And I ended up doing three laps, which was like 82 Ks. And on my last lap, it actually took me 10 hours to, <laughs> I was in the dark by myself in Cane Cross Forest. And all these things were going through my head, like thinking of horror movies and all different things. And yeah, 10 hours it took me because I got dis disorientated. Um, but I got in, I think it was five minutes before the cutoff to go out for my last lap. But at that point, I just, I was hallucinating and I was just done. I was ready to finish. But I was actually really proud at that point that I've done 82Ks, I'm done now. Um, I wasn't bothered about finishing before my kind of, my 100Ks. Um, so that was fine, but when I actually finished that, um, it was still there and I still knew I had to complete a hundred K race at some point. And I didn't know how much longer I wanted to continue running and ultra running. So to find one soon when I was in this physical kind of shape and ready to go, uh, I needed to do one soon. So I just completed the black hole hundred, which was, um, a week and a half ago. Um, which I won't lie, wasn't a very pleasurable experience. But I'm so proud that I actually did it. Um, but, yeah, so that was, yeah, last Sunday. Uh, it was 100Ks, and I think it took me 18 hours and 48 minutes to complete it. It's incredible, absolutely incredible. And given that you aren't someone that's been a runner long term, it just shows me how much this is a mental game. I've always believed it's 90% mental, 10% physical, and any of us can put our mind to it. And if there's a big enough reason why, and you've obviously got to prepare for these things, otherwise injury and the mind can override injuries yeah. and sometimes you know, runners go beyond that. But the woman that won that race that you were just in, and I just want to congratulate you for what you did. I, I, I think it's extraordinary and yeah. I just can't commend you enough. And that's why I wanted to share you on the podcast. I want everyone to know just how amazing you are. And hopefully this inspires someone, if nothing else, to run maybe 5K park run or a 10K run. But if you've never run a half marathon or a marathon, it's just, I think it's one of those things you want to tick off before you leave this earth. That's my yeah. humble opinion. 
But the woman that won that Black Hall race, talk to us a little bit about her story. Oh, yeah, Risha is just honestly phenomenal. She, um, so Risha Lewis, so she also trains at Jamie's. She won um, the 100K race, which she completed just over 10 hours, and she set a new record for that. Um, but, yeah, she's a phenomenal. That was actually her first 100K run. So she normally like she normally competes in a 50k race, which she does always either wins it or she comes like on the podium. Um, but yeah, her story, she uh actually has come from a big weight loss journey. Um, uh, I can't actually tell you what it was. I think it was like 140 kilos down to 70. So I'm sure she's lost like half her body weight. And she trains like a machine and she has got the most strongest mindset I've ever seen anyone like have and being able to push yourself. Um, but even her story of how she lost her weight, that was all by herself. That was her getting up every single day and climbing a mountain, even at 140 kilos. And she just kept pushing herself, pushing herself, um, getting up there each day, a little bit further, um, until, yeah, the weight started dropping off. So she's, yeah, just a phenomenal woman. I saw an article on her in the Sunshine Coast Daily saying that, yes, I think it was around that 140 kilos she yeah. she got right down. Um, but one of the things she said was why she found it so, I don't know if easy is the right word, I say that in inverted commas, but the reason why she was so focused is she said nothing was as hard as running with 140 kilos on oh. you. So isn't that an interesting mindset in itself that she found it easy? I think the one thing that got me through at times is after I'd done a 50K training run down in Wilson's Promontory, I came in the next day. We'd done it quite fast, and I'm not a fast runner by any stretch of the imagination, but I came into work on the follow that Monday after that weekend, and there was a guy, Brett, in a wheelchair sitting there, and he was a top AFL footballer that had gone up from Mark, lost his legs underneath him and landed on his back and was a paraplegic. And he was in that process of training for the Seoul Olympics. And he was in there for his remedial work, massage, and obviously um, some real good care for himself as he came into our clinic. And he just said to me, oh, Kimmy, how was your run? And I just, I will never forget this, Kerry. I turned around and I said, oh, Brett, my legs are killing me. And as those words came out of my mouth, I was desperate to pull them back. And I don't know if anyone listening to this has ever had foot and mouth disease, but let's just say I usually put both feet in. And um, I just looked at him horrified and he looked at me and he said, you know what? Don't worry about it. He swore, but he did say I'd freaking give anything for that feeling. And that is what got me through my ultras was that Brett would give anything for the pain I was feeling with my toenail lifting or the calf cramping or the blisters on the sole of my foot. He just would give anything for that. And now I have a mantra when I'm out running and I don't do the long, long distance anymore, but when I'm out running and even a 10 K, I can sometimes be a little bit, I don't know, it just challenges me sometimes. I will say in my head, every step I take, I'm connected to you, Mother Earth. Every breath I take, I'm connected to my mind, body, and emotions. And I am fully aware and proud and privileged to do it on behalf of all of those who can't. And just that little mantra in itself gets me off thinking about my left knee that's hurting or my right ankle that's showing pain. And I think it's really the most beautiful thing about any ultra event or any physical challenge. You don't have to do an ultra, but any physical challenge actually really pushes you, your mindset way more 
than anyone would ever care to imagine. Would you agree with that? And if so, what do you think has been the greatest lessons you've learned around your own mindset? Oh, it's funny. Um, for instance, say if I'm going to run a 10K one day, that first 8K will seem okay, but that last 2Ks will seem super hard. So if I'm running a 50K, for instance, the 40Ks will be, it'll be hard, but that last 10K again will seem, it'll be seem like impossible, seem really hard to do, like you really grinding it out. Same when you run 100Ks. For instance, last, um, when I was doing the black hole, I got to a 50K mark, I'm like, oh, just run 50Ks. Like it was nothing because I had so much further to go because I still had another 50Ks to go on top of that. But that's in your mindset, isn't it? Like just because you're running an amount, like no, nothing is ever far enough or nothing is, um, like say I was running like a shorter run, that last little bit is always the hardest no matter how many Ks you're doing. Um, but each time you're just going to tell yourself to keep going. But that 100Ks, there is no way I was going to quit again because I've got it in my mind now that I had to finish it at some point anyway. So if I was going to pull out at 70Ks, I would have had to run another 70Ks plus the 30, which I had left to do as well. So I thought, I've got, okay, I've got 30Ks to do, or I can quit here, and I've got 70 more Ks to do plus the 30 I haven't done yet. So each time I kept saying, if you don't do it, you're going to have to do it again. So that's what kept me going the whole way through um, because I had something to finish and I was going to do it that day. So no matter how much I was hurting, how tired I was, I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. Um, so it's just having that goal and that mindset and just, um, as Jamie says, finish what you started. Um, so, yeah, try and just complete that goal no matter what it is. I love it. Do you think then when you don't complete, when you like that, that other run that you didn't complete yes. the 100Ks, do you think then is there a mindset or have you seen it with clients or other competitors when they don't that then there's this mental mind battle of not being good enough or is there a, a, a place where some athletes get to where they really sabotage themselves over not completing? How, does, how do people get around that? Yeah, it's a hard one when obviously some things are cut short or they don't get to what they achieve. But um, I think they need to actually just reset another goal and just something else to strive through. Because like, not everyone makes it to stage. Like Things can get in the way and it's not always self-sabotage from the self. It could just be family life or just something which it wasn't the right time. Um, so I think like with any kind of goal, it's reset it, retry again. Uh, maybe change a few things that didn't work before. Um, yeah, but if you really want to do something, then I think you should really go back and try it again. Some things are not right for some people, to be honest. Like, it might not be the right goal for you. So let's have a reassess and think of something else that you might want to achieve instead. Because um, like I said, body composition in a state isn't for everyone. Ultra running is not for everyone. But give it a crack. And if it isn't for you, yeah, I mean, like maybe change your direction and find something else which you will enjoy more and maybe yeah, be able to complete. Yeah. Do you think then this has built your self-esteem and confidence, all the things that you've done? Has this become something for you to fall in love with and admire yourself even more? I think so, yeah. Um, like with everything that I do, like when you achieve something, like just flat opening my own studio and things like that, re-qualifying as an adult, all these little things that... Um, they do give you a boost, give you more confidence that like you can do more. And with my fitness and my ultra events and my bodybuilding, 
like as humans we have so much more potential than we actually think and it's just actually like tapping into that and keep pushing yourself for more keep thriving um yeah you can do a lot more than you think and I just wish everyone else could get this opportunity to feel like I do when I actually achieve these things and even during the journey of it as well I think this is the most important thing that I've made so many friends learned so much about myself and it's not been about the outcome or the end goal it's been more about the journey along the way which has actually built more resilience built more strength and actually made me like a happier person as well I agree what do you think then is your definition of self-love oh self-love let me so this has been a hard one to think about just because like over the years I probably haven't loved myself or even known what self-love is Um, But I think after turning 40, you kind of come of age and you're more accepting of who you are. Um, So self-love for me is actually when you accept who you are, you cannot be anybody else. You cannot be like anybody else. You are just you. So if you accept all your flaws and everything and just being able to thrive, to be the best that you can every single day, um, and even if you have a bad day, You've always got another day. So it's always pushing to be the best version of yourself. So I think that is my version of self-love. I love it. I love it. And one day as your girls get older and they listen to this, they're going to go, that's my mum. That's my (laughs) mum. I know we don't have too much longer, but is there the the person listening to the self-love podcast is someone who wants people they love to feel the love for themselves? Because I believe it's your superpower. When you love who you are, warts and all, it is actually your superpower. It is the foundation for all things. And one of the things you give to me every time I train with you is the power to believe in myself. And I'm very grateful for that. But I'd really love to ask you then, the person listening to this, what, what would be your, your message, your final message to the, the person who really does aspire to love who they are or also wants to be the, the beacon of light for others to do the same? Yeah, I would say you've got to find what makes your, like, your heart sing. You've got to find some kind of passion, something that's going to make you truly happy. Um, it could just, it could be, um, doing a painting, it could be going for a walk, going for a run, just finding something that makes you happy. Cause when you're happy, your cup is full and then that's going to make everyone around you. Um, cause if you're, sorry, let's say if your cup's empty, then it's hard to help anybody else. So I think it's super important that you should be looking after yourself first and then you can help other people. Um, but yeah, I think you really need to find something that you enjoy doing. We only have one life, so it is, you can't waste it on what ifs. It's just finding things that is going to make you happier, um, happy future. It doesn't have to be fitness. It could be something else, but I think you really need to dig deep and start looking for something which you can find joy in. Mm, I love it so much. And I think also, I don't know if you agree with me, but movement, exercise, gym, training, having a, taking on a PT, following a challenge is actually one of the easiest and best and most simple ways to get out of a funk as well. So when life is challenging you or you don't feel great or you are going through a tough time, 
I truly believe and have witnessed it for myself over and over that those that get through those challenges, it's not that we ever take the pain away or it's not that you ever, you know, wave a magic wand and it just disappears. But as you transition and grow through what you go through, one of the best and most quickest ways to access that part of you for that inner strength is without doubt physical movement and some sort of challenge. So I can hand on heart say that one of the best things I've ever done in my life is take on challenges when I'm at my worst or when I'm struggling. And that's where I find a gym. Now, the other thing I'd also say, uh, the hardest part about joining a gym or going to yoga or joining up to Pilates or anything is walking through the door the first time or putting on your shoes to get out the door. And I think just just realize no one's looking at you the way you think they are and no one really cares about you the way you think you might do about yourself. It's really strange. No one actually cares. If anything, they're all excited to see a new face in the gym or the new um, Pilates thing. And I think one of the things about personal trainers like you, Leon and Jamie, is you also build what I'd call a beautiful community. And once you, and and I think people, if, if I could give one, my only little five cents worth is that, most gyms, if they've got great personal trainers in there, that's what they're looking for is to build a community. Yeah. And I just, I know that's why Taylor's so successful. I mean, you were one of the biggest reasons why Taylor went into personal training. She saw yeah. you at the gym. She she knew, she looked at you. And even though you've got very different body types, she's a dancer and there you are as a body sculptor, bodybuilder. But she knew that for you to get there, you had a lot of discipline and that's what she was attracted to. And I think it's that whole thing of aspire to be someone that you look up to and yeah. see how they can support you. So I just want to thank you from my hand with my hand on heart for all that you give to me every week. I come in and train with you and complain and whinge. <laughs> <laughs> and go, I can't. I just can't. I can't do it again. Say that. I will obviously say that Kim always gives me two more reps, even five more sometimes. Well, that's true. That's true. I'll give it up. Oh, well, I think it's because I think (laughs) if you think I can do two more, I can do five more. Um, (laughs) Only then I don't realize what the next workout is or the next the next session is that we're going to do. And so I'm thinking, I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. But no, I love it. (laughs) And I do believe that that mindset of there's two more. And I think taking on a personal trainer. If you think here was one of my big things as I was training, doing the the Bill Phillips book, you know, the twelve weeks body for life, they would say go to a, a level ten where you just have got nothing left and when I took on a personal trainer after that I have to say what I thought was a level 10 as in I had no more a personal trainer actually saw that as it believe it or not a six maybe a seven at the most and that's when I realized a coach whether it's a mindset coach a life coach a business coach or a physical you know PT coach you do not realize what you've got in you until someone else can see that potential. And that's where I think every high aspiring athlete, business person, mother, father, individual, they all have people in their team to help them get there. Would you agree? I definitely agree. Yeah. And that's Uh, why I look at you and see the training you do. And it just, it's very inspirational. It's even myself, like I'm surrounded by like amazing people like yourself, Kimmy, like Jamie, Leon, my clients, my friends who I train with. Um, so I do feel very lucky that my circle is full of inspiring people, um, which makes you want to do better as well. So, I mean, that would be my advice to people as well, is actually get in a group with people who will inspire you, who will make you want to work harder, be a better person. Um, this is joining a partner and joining the gym, joining a self-help group. It will all help. 
um, yeah, just surrounding yourself with people who's going to make you higher. I love it. What's your final quote? What's a quote that you could share with this amazing group? Well, back to my bodybuilding days, this will be by um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, So his quote was always, um, the wolf on the hill is not as hungry as a wolf climbing the hill. And the, um, the reason why I like this quote is because like you always kind of want to train like your second place, for instance, that um, never think you're at the top of your game. That could be in business as well. It doesn't have to be about bodybuilding, training or running. Um, but never get complacent. Always keep pushing yourself to be better and be the best version of yourself that you can. And, yeah, so if you're, you think you're at the top of your game, you're not. You've got to always try to be better. So don't get complacent. That is my quote for everyone. Kiri Ashcroft thank you so much for being on the self-love podcast it's a treat it's an honor and I just want to say I love you dearly and thank you for being in my corner oh thank you so much for the invite Kimmy and yeah it was an honor to be on your podcast today thanks for listening to the self-love podcast be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com that's the word 20 and the number 8.com Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.